Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. This is a bonus episode filling in the space between Season 7 and Season 8. This episode is brought to you by Islamic History Exclusive. We have four seasons so far discussing the life of Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, the war between the Umayyads and Ibn Zubair, and two additional seasons of the Umayyad Caliphate. If you need to hear more Islamic history, consider joining Islamic History Exclusive. Go to your Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps and search for Islamic History Exclusive. You can also join by visiting patreon.com slash islamichistory. This episode is also brought to you by the Prophet Muhammad Podcast. This is a free podcast chronicling the life of Allah's last messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and it is available on all platforms. This is part two of our short series on the Battle of Talas. This was a battle where the Muslim forces of the Abbasid Caliphate fought against the Chinese Tang Dynasty. In the previous episode, we discussed the rise of the Tang Dynasty and its steady expansion towards Central Asia. The Tang Dynasty experienced a decline as they tried to move into the Tarim Basin, which is in Xinjiang province. One of the reasons the Tang Dynasty was in decline was due to the emergence of the Tibetan Empire. We'll discuss the Tibetan Empire in more depth in a few moments. We also discuss the expansion of the Islamic Caliphate, held by first the Umayyad dynasty into Central Asia. We also discussed how the Abbasid revolution overthrew the Umayyads, and we ended the previous episode in 713 CE when Emperor Xuanzang became the new ruler of the Tang dynasty. So now, let's discuss more about the Tibetan Empire, which caused so many problems for the Tang dynasty. The Tibetan Empire was located in the Tibetan Plateau in southwestern China. It was bordered to the south by the Himalayas, and beyond that, there was Nepal and India. The Tibetan Empire was established in the early 600s and began expanding rapidly in the 630s. After some clashes, Tibet and China established a peace through marriage. That is, Tibet and the Tang Dynasty of China established peace through marriage. This introduced Buddhism into Tibet, and it grew rapidly, particularly among the aristocracy of the Tibetan Empire. However, the Tibetan Empire wanted to expand further into Xinjiang, particularly into Kashgar. The Tibetan Empire wanted to take advantage of the wealth coming from the Silk Road. At this time, however, the Tang Dynasty controlled this region. Kashgar was a city in Xinjiang that acted as the doorway between China and Central Asia. So Tibet allied with the Turks of Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan against the Chinese, and by 665 CE, the Tibetan Empire controlled most of the Tarim Basin. And we mentioned the Tarim Basin in the previous episode. This is a large oval-shaped desert in Xinjiang province. And Xinjiang province is where we can generally find the Uyghur Muslims of China. So with Tibet's rise and control of the Tarim Basin, this coincided with the decline of the Tang Dynasty that we discussed in the previous episode. Now going back to the year 713, this begins the Tang Dynasty revival. 
Tang Emperor Xuanzong began reversing some of the losses that the Tang Dynasty had suffered so far. Part of his success was due to the Turkic tribes fighting each other. This made it easy for the Chinese to defeat these Turkic tribes one by one. With the Turkic tribes out of the way, the Chinese were now able to focus more on the Tibetans and the Tarim Basin. And by the 740s, the Tibetan Empire had pretty much been forced out of Zhenjiang province and out of the Tarim Basin. Eventually, Emperor Xuanzong restored the Tang Dynasty's territory to what it had been during its peak during Emperor Taizong's reign. Now the Tang Dynasty saw an opportunity to continue expanding into Central Asia. The Tang Dynasty's armies were led by a Korean general named Kao Xianxi. That's Kao spelled K-A-O, not C-O-W. The Tang Dynasty began expanding into Central Asia again, and now General Kao began establishing vassal states in the Pamir Mountains and Hindu Kush Mountains. In the early 750s, the Abbasids couldn't really respond to this Tang expansion into Central Asia as the Abbasids were still trying to consolidate their hold on the empire. They were also more focused on events in the West, especially in Syria. The Battle of Talas really begins with two small Turkic kingdoms. These two small Turkic states had gone to war. One was named the Kingdom of Fergana. The other was named the Kingdom of Chach. The Kingdom of Chach was located where the city of Tashkent is today. The Kingdom of Fergana was a vassal of the Tang Dynasty. So when this war began, Fergana asked for help from the Chinese and General Cao responded in the positive. The Tang army quickly surrounded the capital of the Chach kingdom. The Tang dynasty, particularly General Cao, he promised the king of Chach safe passage if he surrendered peacefully. The king did surrender, and as he fled the capital, General Cao broke his promise, ambushed the king, and took off his head. The king's son, however, he escaped and fled to Merv, which was the capital of Khorasan, where Abu Muslim was the governor. Abu Muslim was a former slave turned general, and he was the primary military commander of the Abbasid revolution. The Chachian prince begged Abu Muslim for help against the Tang dynasty, and Abu Muslim responded in the positive as well. Abu Muslim sent an army led by his own general, Ziyad ibn Saleh. Now before we get into the actual battle, let's discuss these two military forces. First, the Abbasids. The Abbasid army was composed primarily of soldiers from the Khorasan military. This army, this army from Khorasan was mostly descended from the first Arabs to invade this region back in 671 CE. Over the decades, the Arabs had mixed with the local Persians and Turks, and so now the ethnicity was not as simple. By this time, the Abbasid military was heavily influenced by Persian tactics. For instance, the Persians used to rely heavily on cavalry, and now the Abbasid military was the same way. The elite Abbasid units were really the mounted warriors, and these were called Khorasaniya. With the Khorasaniya, both soldier 
and horse often used light armor. However, it was only the wealthy fighters who could afford to put armor on their horses. Armor was very expensive. Most horses were simply covered in heavy cloth to absorb arrows. The Abbasids also used war drums to inspire their soldiers. And they also carried these huge flags on poles up to 22 feet high, which equals roughly 7 meters. Now, for all of the soldiers, their main weapon was a lance, particularly the Khorasaniya, the mounted soldiers. Their main weapon was a lance, which they used to charge into the enemy's infantry units. However, the soldiers also carried swords and maces for hand-to-hand combat and close melee combat. The soldiers also wore metal helmets. They carried a round shield. They often had a spear and usually a short sword or a dagger as well. The Abbasid military included a large number of Arab infantry. Now, infantry usually fights on foot. However, in this case, the Abbasid infantry often rode horses or camels into the battlefield, and then they dismounted to fight on foot. In addition to the Arabs, there were also thousands of Mawali within the ranks. The Mawali were non-Arab Muslims. Now, the word Mawali generally means someone who was a freed slave. They had accepted Islam and had become a freed slave, and so they were connected to the family that they had once been enslaved to. However, at this time, the word Mawali was also used for any Muslim who was not an Arab. The Mawali, in this case, were usually Persian or Sogdian. As for the Tang Empire's army, they included conscripts, that is, people who were forcefully recruited into the military, and these people came from the Tang Dynasty's many provinces and conquered territories. However, the Tang Dynasty's military also included a large number of professional soldiers. The Chinese army was divided into three primary units, archers, cavalry, and spearmen. The mounted cavalry usually wore red or gold armor. Their helmets were often decorated with peacock feathers, and some of the Chinese officers even had dragon-shaped ornaments on their helmets. The Tang army also included several horse archers brought in from the many subjugated Turkic tribes. Now let's discuss the Battle of Talas itself. After General Kao beheaded the king of Chach, he was beginning to lead his army back across the Pamir Mountains and back into Jinjiang province. However, when he learned that the Abbasid military led by Ziyad ibn Salih was on its way, when he learned that it was approaching, he turned his army back around to face them. The two armies, that is the Tang Dynasty and the Abbasid Caliphate, the two armies finally met on the banks of the Talas River near the city of Taraz in Kazakhstan. The Talas River begins in the mountains of Kyrgyzstan and flows west into Kazakhstan. Now there are many different estimates about the number of soldiers in each army that I've come across. Many of these estimates are very wild and pretty much impossible. Most likely, the Tang Dynasty did have an advantage as far as military men were concerned, as far as number of units was concerned. 
The Tang Dynasty perhaps had about 30,000 troops versus the Muslim Abbasids with about 20,000 troops. The fighting began in July 751 when the Abbasid advanced units first noticed the arrival of the Tang army. The Abbasids, who were at a numerical disadvantage, these were only the advanced units by the way, they dug a trench and decided to utilize a defensive strategy. Their spearmen formed a phalanx formation. Phalanx formation is a military formation where the spearmen and infantry pack close together in a square. This makes it very difficult for the enemy to penetrate and destroy them. The Tang army attacked but did not do any serious damage. The Abbasid advanced units were able to hold off the Chinese until the main Abbasid army arrived. When the main Abbasid army finally arrived, General Kyle fell back and prepared for a full-scale battle. The Muslims and the Chinese fought each other for the next four days. The Chinese inflicted more damage at first, but not enough to break through, and it was still a stalemate. Both sides used similar tactics, and neither one could really gain an advantage over the other. Both formed a wall with their shields, both used archers to send volleys into the other side, and both used their cavalry charges hoping to break through the infantry ranks. Things finally changed on the fifth day of battle. General Kyle kept an auxiliary force of Karluk Turks waiting just in case they were ever needed. The Karluks was a large Turkic tribal group, and from them we get many other Turkic groups like the Uzbeks and the Uyghurs. The Karluks, however, defected from the Tang army and joined forces with the Abbasids. This caught the Chinese by surprise as they were now getting attacked by the rear from the Karluk Turks and from the front by the Muslims. So now, caught between the Abbasids and the Karluks, General Kao ordered a fighting retreat. When night fell, the Tang troops were finally able to escape to the relative safety of their camp. General Kao wanted to continue the fight, but his general sat him down and convinced him that this was not really a good idea. And so, with that decision made, the remains of the Tang army began the long retreat through the Pamir Mountains and back into China. As the Tang dynasty was making their way through the mountains, their allies, the Fergana Kingdom, attacked the Tang dynasty as well. General Kao, caught by surprise again, led a desperate fight against his former allies, against the Ferganese, and he was only barely able to escape with his life. However, most of his soldiers were killed or taken captive. Now, there is another slightly different version to this story. Another version states that there was really no fighting between these two armies, that instead they negotiated for four days until the Karluk Turks betrayed the Tang dynasty and attacked them, and that caused the Tang dynasty to retreat. Of course, coming from the Chinese side, they say the Karluks betrayed them. However, some Muslim sources say that there was no betrayal and that this defection had already been planned well in advance. 
Ziad ibn Saleh, the general of the Abbasid military, he had met with the Karluk Turks and convinced them to take this action. Either way, this was a major defeat for the Tang dynasty. After returning to China, General Cao wanted to gather a new army and march back across the mountains into Khorasan to deal with the Abbasids again. However, a major rebellion had begun in eastern China and that took all of the Tang Dynasty's attention and resources to put down. China has never since then been able to successfully penetrate into Central Asia, even till today. Now, the Chinese POWs, Chinese captives from this battle, most likely became slaves in the various parts of the Muslim world, especially in Central Asia. One of the significant outcomes from this battle were these Chinese captives because they brought the knowledge of paper making to the Muslim world. And sure enough, less than two decades later, the works and the teachings of various Muslim scholars, for instance, Imam Abu Hanifa, began to proliferate, first in Baghdad and then other parts of the Muslim world. It is likely, and Allah knows best, that this technology, this new technology of paper, made it easy for Muslim scholars to document and share their knowledge. And Allahu Alam. Okay, well, that will end our story on the Battle of Talas. I hope you enjoyed it. This will probably be the last bonus episode. Season 8 is almost done. Inshallah, my hope is to have it ready for you by the beginning of January 2023. Inshallah. So I will use the rest of December to continue working on finishing up Season 8, which will be on the Mughal Empire. And I hope to have this ready for you by the first week of January. May Allah make it easy for us all. But until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.